0: He, the tongue of the learned that I should know how to speak a word in season. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to hears the learn. The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not rebased, nor did I turn away. Please. I'm going to hold you to that tonight. All right. He who has an ear, let him hear. Tonight I want this message to not be too... The one sitting next to you, I want it to be for you. Many times when messages are preached, we look around and say, that must be for somebody else. But I believe this message tonight is for all of us, including me. I believe that this is something that the Lord has laid upon my heart. I woke up with this thought yesterday morning. Woke up early. Never thought about a word or anything else. But the Lord put a word in my heart. And I got up and started looking at it to see what it meant. Because I wasn't even sure exactly what it meant. It gave me the scripture. But I wasn't even sure what it meant. So I, I began to do it. But it all is going to, It talks about the heart. The contrite heart. And so, anyway, I didn't know what to do with it when I got up. So I just kind of mulled it around. All of a sudden... I, before, I mean, I had that early in the morning, and then all of a sudden later in that morning, I found out why God gave it to me. Because I was going to be standing up here tonight. Okay? So it was a good thing. But I want to talk to you tonight about it's time for a heart checkup. Because I had uh, a heart attack a few years ago, and they had to put some stents in my in my heart, and thank the good Lord for that. But I have to go get a heart checkup every year. And they put me through all the paces to to make sure my my ticker's ticking. It's ticking the way it's supposed to tick, and there's nothing else going on in there. And I thank the Lord that they make you get on this treadmill and about kill yourself. But they came back and said everything was fine. So I had to have a physical, a physical heart checkup. And, you know, with everything that's been going on this past year, our lives, our churches, our families have been shaken to the core. But we must stand firm in our trust and our faith that God has brought, what God has brought us through this evil assault. And He will continue being with us Whatever comes our way. The Lord gave me that before I even knew what way think that meant because didn't know all the stuff that was going on and happened today. But we don't know what's coming. We don't know what lies ahead. And probably we don't really want to know because it would be hard to trust God if we really knew what was going on. Okay? Because sometimes we tell, well, if that's going to happen, I just don't know what I'm going to do. You know? But we realize that there's something real important. God has seen you through every situation in your life. And you know how I know? You're here. And if you're still here, then God has got you through it. You may not know how God got you through it, you may not understand everything that happened to get you where you are, but you have to admit that God got you through it or you wouldn't be here, right? No matter how bad it may have seemed at times, God has brought us through it. The Word says that He would never leave us. He would never forsake us. So during this time of fasting and prayer that we're going through, this fasting and prayer, we must prepare our hearts. Prepare our hearts. We need to draw close to God, hear His voice, and be strengthened with his power. Satan is on the rampage. Okay? I mean he is on the rampage. Like I have never seen in my 71 years of life. I have never in my life seen Satan doing what he is doing and that he has been that he is doing today. The morality of our nation has moved further and further away from God and the church is being pulled toward this new, new morality. Folks, there is no new morality. There's only one morality. And that's the morality that God teaches in the Word of God. This is our morality. This is what we live by. And this is what will get us through this. And this is what we need to have with us today. This new morality that's coming around is not the morality that God, they call it, they don't call it a new morality, but it is because it's not what I grew up with. Now, it didn't happen all at once. Some people call it the frog effect. Everybody know what the frog effect is or I need to explain it. But anyway, real quick you take a frog and throw him in hot, in hot water, and he'll jump right out. Okay, But if you put him in some cool water, put him in a pan, put him in some cool water, he'll just lay there and just enjoy it, just like that cool water. And then you turn it on, and little by little it warms up until all of a sudden it warms up until the point he realizes he can't jump out. And then he's boiled, and then you've got frog legs. <laughs> Pretty good, too. Okay? So it's not something that, that just one of a, one day... Because I can almost tell you, because I've heard this over and over and over from Christians today, I never thought that I would ever see whatever that's happening today. And if it had just happened as it did, you know, you, you, you say, I, I just can't see how that happened. It's because it didn't just happen. It happened over a period of time. Slowly and slowly. And we get caught up with the world systems it work. In our social environments, and we become numb to what's going on. We just don't see what's going on. We tell ourselves that there's nothing that we can do about it and that we just need to adapt and accept it. That's not what God's Word says. God says to sin not. Don't go against what my Word says. When the world starts telling you that what's in here is wrong and what they say is right, we have a problem. We have a serious problem, right? So it's important for us to understand that no, we're not supposed to adapt to it and accept it. We're supposed to fight against it and keep the Word and our lives and our church pure. As pure as possible. Now, I was going to use this example. I got to say it. I told my wife I was going to use it, and I said, No, it'd be bad, but whatever. But I can remember about years and years ago, we used to sit around the radio, and listen to the Grand Ole Opry. And I was going to use that as an example. Then I said, Look around this building. Probably no one knows enough to even know what the radio was and what the Grand Ole Opry was. And then I said, Well, no, I could tell them that we used to sit around and listen to D- Dizzy Dean and Pee Wee Reese call the games of the New York Yankees. And then I realized that there's nobody here that remembers P. Ree Reese and, you know, Jimmy Dean. Or, not Jimmy Dean. Anyway. So I said, well, I got to get another example. So I said, how many of you know what a TV is? How many of you grew up with a TV? Okay. Now, some of you is not going to remember this, but how many of you remember uh, Father's Knows Best? Okay, we got some. How many of you leave it to Beaver? The Beaver Cleaver family. Okay, how many of you remember sitting around watching that? Okay, that was good, wholesome entertainment. We sit there and we would laugh. And they come to the, they would come to the table in his suit and his tie. Everybody dressed for dinner, just like they did in England. Well, I never did go wear, I never did wear a tie to eat with. I'd have got it all over my shirt, but. The thing about it is we didn't think anything about it because the entertainment was family-oriented. Do you know that we didn't have a rating system back then? There wasn't a rating system of, uh, uh, let's see, we start with G, I guess, and then we go to PG, and then we go to PG-13, and then PG-17, and then MA-14, and then R and then X and XR or whatever the case may be. We didn't have all those ratings because there was only one rating and it was wholesome entertainment. And then Hollywood decided they wanted to change our morality. And they started it. They've done it little by little. They moved on. Gradually, (coughs) as they changed it, they began to change our morality. And we just happened... And then we accepted it, and then we supported it. We'd go to the movies, and we'd support it. we watch TV, and we watch all the advertisers. Then it, <coughs> all these ratings came up, and then, so we had to start back and back and say, well, we can't. We, we PG, that's parental guidance. I looked at a parental guidance not long ago, wanted just a PG and listened to the thing, and I'm sorry, but I didn't even want to listen to it, and I guarantee you, I wouldn't have wanted my children to listen to it. But they are pushing that on me. And it's even come to the point now that the commercials, you can't even watch a commercial anymore because why? They're trying to push and stuff their morality and their way of thinking down our throats. Now, in the last few years, I've seen an onslaught of in-your-face evil shoved not only at us personally, but at our church also. And the church is being forced to accept all of this as normal. Does anybody know what normal is by definition? What 50% plus one says it is. That's normal. And we're getting real close To 50% or more of our society that is defining normal, that is absolutely abnormal. So you say, Well, Brother Graham, you hadn't even started, you hadn't even preached a message yet. Well, you got to lay the foundations, right? You have to lay the foundation. Even if it takes 20 minutes, you got to lay the foundation. So, (laughs) in the coming years, those years that lie ahead of us. I hate to say this. Maybe this is negative. this it's negative, God, help me to be positive. I don't see us going back to the good old days. I see more and more and more deterioration in our society, in its morality. And you say, why are you talking about morality? Because morality is what drives society. It's what drives us. It's the things that Satan uses to grasp at us and to pull at us because it's the thing that the flesh desires. And when this flesh desires something, it goes after it unless it keeps itself into control. So, if we have all of this coming out. So what do we, just what do we do? So what do we do? What can we do? What do we do? Well, for tonight, I'm going to say that it's time for all of us to to get a heart checkup. During this 21 during this 21-day fast is a perfect opportunity to cleanse the body, cleanse the heart, and it's a good time to look at the heart and see how the heart is functioning. It's looking in and seeing what's happening and what's going on inside of our heart. Now, I think I've turned two pages here. Hold on. King David gives us a good example of getting a heart checkup. Now, all of you have read Second Samuel. Now we've all read it, so I don't have to go explain the whole story. Second Samuel, the eleventh and twelfth chapters, talking about Bathsheba, okay? David, the adultery, the deception, the, the murder of Uriah. You know, in the all, everybody remember the story, so I don't have to go into it, right? So he goes through all of this and then Nathan the prophet comes to him and he starts saying, gives him an example of how this one person would take something that somebody had was precious and, and give him the whole example. And then David said, well, I'll tell you what, find me that guy and I'll take care of him, I'll kill him. And he said, it's you. And all of a sudden, David became sorrowful. And after he had had all this and came, came to this, He penned Psalms Psalms 51. And in Psalms 51, it goes into a lot of different things. You can see his sorrowful heart, but I can't go into all of it. But in in Psalm 51, in verses 16 and 17, it says, For you, it's talking about God, for you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. You don't. You do not delight in burnt offerings. Sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken spirit and a contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. See, a lot of people talking about the Old Testament. We're talking about sacrifices. It was never about the sacrifice. It was never about the, the sacrifices that they, got, that they came and they put them on the altar. That was just something they had to do through obedience. God wanted them to live a life. He wanted them to have a heart change. But they didn't. And so they just kept doing the things. But here, David says, you don't care anything about these kind of sacrifices. The sacrifice the sacrifice that you want is to have a broken spirit. Now, what's a broken spirit? Anybody know what a broken spirit is? That's a small s that's inside of us. What is a broken spirit? Hmm? A broken spirit is that which when we say, not my will, but thy will be done. That's when we break our spirit and submit our spirit to His spirit. And when we, when we listen to His spirit inside of us, and Mike has taught it, Pastor's taught it, I've taught it, the, the little S and the big S and whatever, they're inside of us and they have to communicate with one another. It's for this spirit to be brokenhearted saying, not my will, God, but your will be done. Just as Jesus had a will, in the Garden of Eden. And he said, not my will. Lord, let it pass from me, but not my will, but thine be done. So it was important for us to realize that it's the heart that God is looking at. A broken spirit that is not my will, but your be done. And he went on and said, and a broken and contrite heart. What is a contrite heart? That's what the Word gave God gave me that, to have a contrite heart. When I woke up, I said, contrite heart. That's not my language. A contrite heart. Oh, I have a contrite heart. It's not in my language. So I had to go figure out. But basically, it's when you have a contrite or broken heart, when you sin or when you do something wrong, you have true remorse and a true sorrowfulness that happens inside of you. When you get saved, a change has to take place. There's an attitude change in your life to where you no longer want to do what you've done in the past. You no longer want to do those things. But Satan wants to come and pick away at those things and begin to put back in your heart things that you don't need. So he, comes and he, says, so he says, A broken heart is truly sorrowful for your sins. So God looks for somebody that, yes, we may sin, but do we feel sorrowful for our sin? Or is it just, eh, missed it again. God's grace is sufficient. We have used God's grace and God's love to the point that I don't even think we even know what loving grace is anymore. I was going to teach on love, but I didn't because God put this one here. So I'm going to move on. That's another message. Maybe for another day and another time. But anyway, so when you look down in Psalms 34 verse 18, it says, The Lord is near. The Lord is near. Now, what's the opposite of near? Far, right? you got near and you got far. Everything in God's Word is either one or the other. You ever realize that? It's hot, cold, good, evil, bad, righteous, light, dark, hot, cold, near, far, here, there, whatever. God does not deal with the in-betweens. You're either here, near, or you're far away. Now, how far away are you? It's not relative to the point. God says, I want you to be near me. Okay? So He says here, He says, and so the Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and saves such as have a contrite spirit. There are many people that try and, I say try, they say the words of acceptance of Jesus Christ, but they never give their heart contritely to God. And what happens is, is they try to live something without commitment in here. It's only words if there's not a contrite heart coming with it. And a contrite heart means when I do something wrong and the Spirit says I do it wrong, I'm sorry for it and I ask for repentance. It draws me to repentance. Now, he's looking for a changed heart. The new covenant, we are given a new heart. Been talked about that several times. That should desire to live with a repentant desire and a conviction of sin. Conviction, not condemnation. And you've got to get the difference between the two. If you haven't seen in my class, there's two C's in the Word. Condemnation and conviction. One's used by Satan, one's used by the Holy Spirit. Okay? How do you know, how do you know the difference? Anybody know the difference? Of how do you tell if you're being condemned by the devil or whether or not you're being convicted by the Holy Spirit? Your relationship. What's that? Yes. In other words, if you're condemned, you're going to want to get away from the source of the goodness, which is God. It will make you feel guilty to the point that you want to not have anything to do with God, pushes you away from God, and makes you feel guilty in yourself that you're unworthy to be able to come to God. That's condemnation. The Bible says, Therefore, there, therefore is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. We are not to live in condemnation. But we are to live in conviction. But people misunderstand conviction. Conviction will tell you when you're doing something wrong... But inside of you, it tells you in such a way that you want to make it right. When we are convicted, it should bring us to a change or a repentant state, not something that would push us away and make us just want to be fearful of God and move away from God. So it's important for us to understand the difference between those. Today we have become so focused on God's love and God's grace that we have lost the contrite and brokenness in our hearts. We are no longer sorrowful for sin. Think about it. Look at the world today. People who, and I'm going to put it in quotes, who are Christians today that do sin and don't even know that they're sinning because they have no conviction of it. And if you have no conviction, then that means you have no spirit to convict you. And that is a problem. Taking responsibility for our sins has been lost. We want to blame somebody else. We're going to blame you did it, you did it, you did it, whatever. We don't want to ever take responsibility for our sins. We have come to the conclusion that because of God's grace and his forgiving spirit, that we no longer are concerned with the sins that's coming into our lives. Now, a lot of you say, well, that's not me, that's not me. I think it's all of us. I think we've all become in that water, that lukewarm water, that we feel comfortable where we are. And it's not cold and it's not hot. It's in that lukewarm air. And God said, I don't want you there. I don't want you in that lukewarm state. And in the coming season that we're going to go into, we need to be vigilant to what is going on around us and where we're being pushed to as believers. We need to be vigilant. Vigilant means you really watch it. You really watch what it is. And it's important for us to realize we cannot partake of the world. We can't be in that world in the sense of mixing in that world. It's hard to get. If you put something in a, in a uh, we have a mixer at the house. When you put stuff in it and you turn that mixer on, it mixes it all up. And if I put vanilla, I pour the vanilla and it's just spinning around like I look down there and I say, well, how much de- vanilla did I put in there? I can't see it anymore. It's already been absorbed. It's become part of it. If we don't watch it when we get into the world and we begin to mix and, mix and mix and mix and mix in the world, pretty soon we can't tell the difference between us and the world. And that's when it rubs off on us. This is not one of those wishes where you say, oh, thank you. Just keep preaching it, Brother Gray." Right? But what I'm saying is this is the time that we can ha- take to be able to look and examine our heart and see where our heart is so that, we can, so that we can do the things that God wants us to do. In 1 Peter 5, it says, Be sober, be, village, be vigilant, because your adversary, who? The devil, walks around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. So it means you better watch for him because He's out there. He's looking and He's trying to find the place, that something that He can do to destroy you. It says resisting. The Bible says to resist Him. Some people don't resist because... Why? They like it. We like it. Lord, you didn't tell me I was going to have to say this. Anyway. But it's It's there. Resist him. Be steadfast in what? What's it say? Be steadfast in the faith. Now, we're not talking about steadfast in the faith of faith believing. Okay, We're not talking about pistols here. We're not talking about that. We're not talking about that type of faith. We're talking about the faith. The faith that I have. I have a Christian faith. I have a faith of God. I have a faith in God. That's the faith that I live. The faith that I live is what God's Word is telling me to do. So steadfast in the word, stand fast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. In other words, you need to be steadfast in your faith, knowing that the same sufferings the things that are going on around are not just going on here, they're going in other parts of the world. We think about how bad 2020 was, how we had to stay in the house, how we couldn't go out very often. We couldn't go to the restaurants, we couldn't go to eat. How would you like not having a house and no food? There are brothers and sisters in the world that would have loved to have been sitting at your house eating your food and being confined to those four walls in your house during this three or four months or five months that we've been in this. They would have loved to have been there, but they didn't have that opportunity. They didn't have the government that would make sure you had a meal. They didn't have a food line or a process line or a food set for the homeless that would go through and feed them soup or whatever it was. They didn't have that. All they had was what God provided for them. They had to live totally and completely by faith. The temptations that we have in our lives do not come from God. A lot of people say, well, God tempted me with that and I just didn't, didn't, didn't make it. God didn't tempt you. Satan tempts us, okay? God is the one that says with every temptation he offers a way of escape. And I've had people say, well, Brother Graham, you don't understand. With well, the situation I was in, there was no escape. Have you ever heard of that two letter word? No. When temptation comes, you say what? When this temptation, real big temptation comes, and you say no. When this little temptation comes that you, you say no. God gave you an out. He gave you a choice to choose. You choose no, you stay pure. You say yes, then you become a little bit tarnished, right? So, Galatians 5 says, You ran well. Talking about the church. Talking to the church in Galatia. You ran well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This... Does not come from him who calls you, and then it says a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Now it's just stuck there with no meaning. You know, you got to go all the way back to the Old Testament where they put just a little leaven. They didn't put leaven in the bread that was communion, but if they put leaven, that's where the yeast in it rise like yeast it rises. Everybody understands that, right? Well, what it's trying to say here is a little sin and a little false teaching and a little bit of corruption affects our whole life, and affects our conduct. So, verse 10 says, And I have confidence in you, in the Lord, I have confidence in you, in the Lord, that you will have no other mind, but who troubles you shall bear his judgment, whoever he is. We must stay alert and stand true to the Word, and not be deceived into believing the lies and deceit that is going to be coming our way. It's already here, but it's going to come like you opened the floodgates. Okay? We had our first one. The 117th Congress opens up. They come up and pray to every god you can think of, from the this god to that god, this god, the unknown, or whatever kind of gods. And then when he got to the end, he said, Amen. And a woman. I had to play it back. I just didn't believe it. When we have people that can't even understand what Amen means, it means... So be it. So when you pray something and you say amen, you just pray what you prayed and then you say amen means so be it. Okay? So I don't know. I guess it was so be it and not so be it. I don't know. Maybe he just didn't really want it to happen. I don't know. But whatever the case may be is... <laughs> anyway. Going so Satan is... We must be alert. We see these things. Matthew. Oh, I'm doing good. Matthew 24. And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you. That no one deceives you. One. Who's one? Does that mean one person can... That means that... That no one deceives you means that other people can deceive you. Now, we know that Satan is a little lies, and we know that deception comes from Satan. I, I, I understand that. But we have to realize that all delusion and deception, okay, all of it comes from Satan, but it comes in different ways. But Satan is always here to attack the church and to attack God's Word. In 2 Timothy... 4 it says for the time is coming when people will not tolerate endure sound and wholesome instruction but having ears itching for something pleasing and gratifying in my flesh they will gather to themselves One teacher after another, one teacher after another, to be considerable, to a considerable number, no, we're saying a large number of people, chosen to satisfy their own liking and to foster the errors they hold, which means they're already walking in error before they go find somebody else. You can't, you won't go looking for somebody else to scratch your ears with the things you want to say unless you've already drifted to the point that you're walking in error to start with. There are people that are going around trying to find the right minister to tell them the right thing so that they can know where to go in their life and what to do in their life. I'm telling you, you don't go look for men to tell you where to go. You go to the Holy Ghost, you go to the Father, you go to the book and you find out what God wants you to do. Man is fallible. God and the Holy Spirit is infallible. They don't make mistakes. Man will make mistakes more than many times more than they even like to admit. But it says here. And it says in verse 4 and will turn aside. Now once they get there, they will turn aside from hearing the truth and wander off into myths and man-made fiction. They won't even believe the truth. They believe fiction. Now, that's how they amplified. It's a little bit more uh, understanding, but you see that. Now, this delusion and deception comes from Satan. We understand that, but it comes in different ways. One, it comes through self-delusion. Self-delusion. That's the delusion that this self can come up with. Okay? This is when you have created your own delusion through some error of thought and reasoning, turning a truth into a lie. Delusion is a lie, it's not the truth. So when we step off in error, then we. As we step on it, that era will lead us, as the Scripture has said, it will lead us away. Proverbs 14 says, there is a way that seems right to man, but its end is the way of death. Proverbs 30, there is a generation that is pure in their own eyes, yet is not washed from It's filthiness. That's God's Word. That's not me. That's what God's Word says. There are those that think they get drawn away from that. In 1 Corinthians, it says, in chapter 3, it says, Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you seems to be wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, He catches the wise in their own craftiness. I look at this world today and I look at all the things that's going on and I say, God, why haven't you caught all these people in their craftiness? I believe the Lord will catch people in their craftiness. I don't believe that you can just continue to spit in God's face and God not do something about it. But we don't know, but God does. Next, we have to look at Satan's delusion. Now this is when Satan creates delusion and you accept it as the truth, but it's a lie. We see that in Genesis 3. And the Lord God said to the woman, What is it that you have done? The woman said, Ah, well, the Spirit deceived me and I ate. Devil's fault. Serpent shouldn't have told her. That was a real problem there. It was the devil's fault. Because if the serpent hadn't deceived her, she wouldn't have ate from it. 1 Timothy 4. Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, are we living in the latter days, folks? Some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Most people just read over that and say, okay, deceiving spirits, those are, are do- doctrines of demons. Those those, we left all those in Africa. Well, I tell you, they're still there. But I can tell you, they're over here, too. Okay? Deceiving spirits. So, what is a deceiving spirit? These are deceiving demons that seduce men. They seduce to, seduce to seduce means to lay astray, draw into evil. Demons are charged with carrying out the program of enticement and forfeit virtue and lead to sexual immorality. Demons is what leads us to. That way, it is these deceiving spirits that is leading our young people today into sexual perversion. People say, oh, it's not the devil doing it. It's just, I'm sorry, evil is, there's only two sources, folks. There's good and there's evil. Where's good come from? God, where's evil come from? Okay, we know where the two, we've got them defined, okay? Evil is out there and evil comes. Deceiving spirits that come and do that. And then it says doctrines of demons. They are to urge departure. These type of demons urge you to depart from the faith. That's the first work that they do. Get you to get away from your faith and your confidence in this right here. And the results in this departure from holy living and the acceptance of doctrines that will damn the soul. There are doctrines out there that are not helping the church today because they're not in here. They are actually the opposite of what's in here. Okay? And just because Pastor so-and-so said it doesn't make it right. Unless you can see it in the Word and not taken out of context, but taken in the Scripture in which it was done so that you can, you can pull Scriptures out of context and create any doctrine you want. You have to look at it in the context and make sure that you understand that. Now, okay. men who, are, who, pretend, who pretend inspiration and revelation and false teachers of all kinds are the agents of demons. I want to read that again. Men who pretend to have inspiration and revelation... And false teachers of all kinds are agents of demons. Now, that's a very strong statement. But I can tell you that when somebody stands up and says, I have a revelation, and that revelation goes contrary to this book, you tell me where it's coming from. I won't tell you, but the Bible tells you where it's coming from, right here. Now, next place is church delusion. And this is when the pastors of churches teach lies, avoid truth, that when it's just contrary to God's Word and they accept a lie, therefore they have delusion. Romans 16 says, Now I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have been lo- that you have learned, and avoid them. For those who are such do not serve the Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, their own appetites, and their smooth words and flattering speech deceive the hearts of people of the simple. Galatians 1. I marvel that you are turning away so soon from Him who called you, that's Jesus, in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. So that means the gospel can be perverted. Well, how do you know if it's perverted or it's the gospel? Anybody know? Okay. If if I didn't need to say that because it's audio, I'm holding up the Bible. Okay. All right. So, but if we, but even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than we have preached to you, let it be accursed. In other words, there is but one gospel, and that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, there are other delusions that come. just when you, when you listen to your so-called friends who convince you to accept a lie, therefore you have a delusion about a specific topic. Now, does anybody think that the people that you hang around with have an influence on your life? There was an old saying that went around many, many, many years ago. It's not biblical as far as I know. Birds of a feather flock together. Okay? But Colossians 2, 8, take this, this is important. See it that no one takes you captive through philosophy or empty deception, according to the traditions of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. He's pretty specific. It's the world against Christ. It's what they say against what God says. Romans 16, Now I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned, and avoid them. For those who are such do not serve the Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by smoothing words and flattery speech deceive the hearts so of simple. 1 Corinthians, Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. Now, people tell me, well, Brother Graham, I want to go into the world and go into those bars, and I want to save those people. Okay? You go in there, with a, if God told you to go, then when you go in there, souls are going to be one. But that doesn't mean you got to sit down next to them and partake of everything they partake of just to get on their good side. You don't have to sin to pull people from bodies because they're looking for something different. Now... <laughs> People today are rationalizing and explaining away evil things that are contrary to the Word of God. Just because you find ways to rationalize sin away does not make it disappear or be right. In other words, you cannot rationalize sin and make it go away. It's still sin. Just just saying something that God's Word says is wrong, is right, doesn't make it right. You can't take something that's wrong, say it's right, and it becomes right. It's still wrong. It's not right. But Satan has used the spirit of delusion, and it is a spirit, to cause many to accept evil, and okay by creating a lie. All of this, he said, brother Graham, this is not one of them power pack messages. He said, well, none of us here needed this. Well, if you didn't need it, I did. Okay, because we all have a tendency to want to get along with everybody. And you can't get along with sin without getting dirt on you. You can't play in the dirt without getting dirty. And you can't roll around in the mud without getting mud on you. I'm sorry, it just doesn't happen that way. Does that mean we're just supposed to take ourselves and we're not supposed to go out and minister? That's not what I'm saying. To take the Word and be a witness is being pure, having it on, and being something different than the world so that they can see something in us that they want because they say, you're different than I am. We don't want to be like them. We want them to be like us. We want them to be like us. And I'm not saying that with pride, saying that's what I'm talking about. I want them to see Jesus in me that I could do something. And while we're doing this fasting and praying, use this time to say, God, search my heart. Help me. Help me to be able to say no to the world. Not sit in front of that TV and sit there and watch them roll around in the bed, slobbering all over each other. Sit there watching homosexualities kiss on TV. See them sit there holding and talking about their love relationship. They're pushing it down our throats. When we sit there, and we just take it because we want to be entertained with sin. It's time to stand up because, folks, I don't know what this year and the next four years are going to be like, but I guarantee you they're not going to be as good as they were in the last four, not because of a man, not because of the president, but because of God's grace. But there's some things that can come down the pipe against the church and against us as Christians. One day you may have to say, I either, ex- I either deny Christ and live, or I say He's mine, Lord and my Savior, and die. It's happening to our brothers and sisters all over the world. And because of God's grace on America, it hasn't happened here yet. And people think, oh, that would never happen in America I'm sorry, but the things that I've seen happening in the last three or four years, I never thought that I would see happen in America. But I've seen it. I've lived on the other side. I've seen the way it used to be. And we're a long ways from where it is. And I believe that God wants us to search our hearts and know our hearts that we can do. And God says He wants to use each and every one of us. We sang a song years and years and years ago that used to say, Jesus, use me, and oh, Lord, don't refuse me. For surely there's a work. Surely there's a work that I can do. And even though I stumble, Lord, help my will to crumble. Lord, if there's something out there that I can do. There's something for each and every one of here. It may not be up here. It may not be teaching a class. But there's something that God wants you to do. He doesn't want you just to be a pew warmer. He wants you to be active for Him and doing things for Him. Take this time, find out, say, God, what do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? I want to do something for you. God, you can even use me. And I can tell you, if God can use me, He can use anybody. So God wants to use us for His honor, for His glory. Christians and the church are standing at a crossroads. We either stand firm on the Word of God or uphold its teachings, or we compromise the Word of God and make it a lie. Every choice that we make has circumstances in our lives and we need to check our hearts and make sure that we're living where the Bible says that we're to live. Not where man says we're to live, but where God's Word says we're to live. And let us open our eyes and our here to hear the truth that we can see the narrow way, that narrow way that leads to life. It leads to life more abundantly. God wants us to take a good heart checkup in our lives. And I believe that God is going to do great and mighty things in this church. But we need all hands on deck. We don't need people down just in the bottom of the boat. We need people pulling the sails, getting everything, lining up so that we catch the wind of God, the wind of the Spirit. And know which way God is going to direct us. The pastor, and Pastor Goodluck, Pastor Angela is, is, is going to be laying out this coming Sunday, going to be laying out the vision that we have. Let's prepare our hearts to where we can get on the boat and we can get there and man the sails to be able to get it when the strong winds come that want to push us off course, that we can all gather together, pull those, pull those sails back in, trim that thing, and get going to the way that God wants us to do. Because God says if we are united as an army, nothing can stop us. But if we all go here and there, we can't. But I believe if we search our hearts and let God say, search my heart and know my heart today, we used to sing that, Lord, search my heart and know my heart today. And that's something we need to do every day because, folks, I know that we all make. I'm going to call them a mistake make you feel better, okay? But we all make mistakes every day. We do things, we, There's things that we do, maybe that we shouldn't do, but there's a lot of times we don't do what we should be doing. You know, there's sins, of, there's sins of commission. That's when I do something I shouldn't do. But there's also those that I should be doing that I don't. You know, it's missing that person. So may the Lord richly bless you. As you stand with me, we'll be dismissed in prayer. Father, I thank You, Lord, for this day. I thank You, Lord, for Your Word. I thank You, Lord, for what You've given us tonight. And God, I pray that each and every one that heard this, Lord, may they understand that this was not condemnation because it was just Your Word. You said, Lord, if we just draw nigh to You, near to You, God, that You'll draw near to us. But You put the responsibility upon us, Lord, to first draw near to You and then You would draw near to us. God, I pray right now that, God, as we are in this, in this fasting and praying time, that we take time each day to search our hearts, to find out exactly, Lord, what is standing in our way of the things that you want to bless us with. And God, that what we need to do to bring our lives into complete submission with a contrite heart, a heart that is completely broken, only for you to do those things for you. God, I thank you and I praise you for that. I ask you, Lord, to be with our country. Bless it, Lord, as you've blessed it through all the years. And I speak peace in this country and in this land. God, that you better will continue to be held high. And, Lord, as the churches stand, that they stand for you and not for the world. And, God, may we all stand because, Lord, when we've done all we can do, that's what we have to do stand and see your glory. Father, go with us to our homes. Keep your heads, of safety around us that we come back, and when we come back again to worship and praise you. Protect us as we go and be with us, I pray. In Jesus' precious name, everyone said amen. Lord, bless you. Thank you for coming.